Now everyone, just a quick note from me before we get into the episode. I've started a series of online events all about how to market and produce webinars successfully. If this is a topic that would interest you, I would welcome you to come along completely free of charge. If you visit pickingupperfection.com slash webinars for all the details, and I'll put that link in the show notes too. Hope to see you there and let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back fellow imperfectionists. Our episode today has excellent promise of being fun and entertaining chat with Angelique Joan. Angelique is a British and French actress, voiceover talent and author. Her upcoming book titled Ready, Set, 30 is all about being an adult and in her own words, whatever that means. Let's dive straight in and welcome to the show, Angelique. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you. Thank you for that lovely intro. I'm so excited to dive in. And listeners, we were already kind of having that conversation about being 30 in our little pre-chat. So I was like, nope, we must stop. We must hit record. But before we dive into talking about the book and all of the work you do, I read on your bio that you've lived in a couple of places. So already kind of experiencing different cultures with England, Belgium, France. Tell us about that journey, Angelique. Yeah, so I was born in the UK. And my dad is English, my mum's French. And we lived there for about six, seven years in lovely Surrey. And then we moved to Belgium uh, for my dad's job. And we were there for a few years. And then when my parents split up, my mum, who's French, uh, decided to go back to France. So we, we followed suit. And I was in France for the rest of my life, really. I came back to London when I was 19. So yeah, I have been moving quite a bit. Wow, no, that's that's interesting. And so on this show, we're all about kind of talking about expectations. And I think that upbringing and kind of career aspirations are going to come a lot into this episode, especially with the nature of your book. Having grown up in those different places, was it kind of different culturally? Was there different expectations for careers and growing up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I can't really speak for England so much because I was so young at that time I can speak for it now but uh Belgium still I was I was 10 11 so I was still trying to figure out even what I wanted to do obviously but I I was very much into acting already at that point um but France because I was in quite a small town and the idea of being an actor you know is laughable um over there that was challenging in itself because no one else wanted to be an actor I don't have anyone in my family who's a performer so I did feel like a bit of an oddball and I didn't really have a lot of friends who were like yeah do it they were more like no car crash what are you thinking become anything else uh so uh, you know the mindset's just a bit smaller when you are in in a small town um but luckily I did a summer course in London just to see if I would you know, if I could even do it as a career. And the teachers by the end of the course just con- convinced me to move to London and, and pursue it. Um, and, that, and that's what I did, along with, uh, I did go to uni in France because my parents, as supportive as they were, were like, you're good in school, come on, just give us a degree. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I finished the degree by correspondence in my first year in London. I, I would juggle um, exams, while also you know being a waitress and auditioning um that was my first year in London 
but then you come to London and it's very different. People are ambitious and they're open and, you know, there's all sorts of jobs here and performers and it's lovely to see and it's so encouraging and it, it gave me more confidence. And I did find my home in London because as much as I love going back to Brittany, it is still, you know, everyone's got the same sort of routine and the same sort of life and that's fine if it suits them. But that I knew like early on it wasn't gonna be for me mm. well it sounds like you absolutely hustled to to you know get the outcome that you wanted and the career that you wanted and I definitely think that we kind of sometimes outgrow the places that we live in especially if our ambition is is larger than the people uh surrounding us in that hometown it's really interesting and kind of upsetting as well that you say that your friends were like discouraging about wanting to become an actor and I think it's perhaps maybe the connotations. I think sometimes people, and this might be, you know, my perception, but just sometimes people confuse wanting to be an actor with thinking that you just want the fame and the fortune, because those are kind of tangled things, but often separate, right? Yes, I think. And I have to say, though, my, my two best friends from Brittany were supportive. It's just, you know, when you say out loud to someone, even a family member, oh, I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to move to London. You, there's this awkward pause and you're like, don't say anything else. I've got it. Uh, that silence says everything I need to know. <laughs> so there is this huge misconception of who does she think she is? What, what the, yeah, is she, is she okay? And how's her confidence doing? And how dare she dream of something that big? which I definitely think probably comes from a place of jealousy for some as well. Yeah. And I grew up in a French high school and I was already the British girl in a French school. So people were already putting me in a, in a box. And I, I was a bit eclectic in my um, choice of out, outfits because you don't have a uniform in France. You can wear mm. whatever you want. And I, I was into flashy British Disney Channel American vibes and French people tend to wear black gray and blue and I was showing up in like this orange skirt and like um bright white go-go boots and (laughs) you know is there any photographic evidence (laughs) there is sadly there is and I actually can't believe my mum let me go to school like that and she was going to think I was going to be okay (laughs) people were going to like me (laughs) yeah yeah it was, it was shocking, but I, no, I love to express myself in that way. And I wanted to be different in some way. I think performers, you know, we don't love the attention in real life, but I think early on, that was the only way I could be entertaining. Mm-hmm. And everyone every morning was like, what's she going to wear? And even the teachers got involved. So I was entertaining people in, in some way, even back then, but um there is this misconception that, you know, being an actor is just you want the big money, you want all the attention and you, you want everyone in the world to know you. And that's really not it. Like I just very early on as a kid loved to perform sketches for my parents and I loved being in shows, whether it was gymnastics or I think I even joined this circus show at one point. Um, I just loved being on a stage and tell a story. And so it was really that. Um, I didn't really pursue fortune because, as most actors would tell you, 
there's no fortune <laughs> for <laughs> ages. It's mostly you're, you're broke and you're waitress and you audition. You don't get the parts 98% of the time and you keep going. That's it. Love that. Well, thanks so much. I love the story that you shared about the true kind of purpose and what you want to provide people out of that and the entertainment. And I think that's wonderful way of explaining. Um, and certainly you must be very tenacious to pursue such a competitive industry and to not get knocked down by not getting those auditions, not getting the callbacks, but to keep going. So that's really admirable. Thank you. I would say like most people don't know, but actors do go through rejection a lot more than what is considered normal in a lifetime uh, it's so many no's on a, on a weekly basis and it does get too hard sometimes I definitely had to stop for a few months and take myself out of the game because you can be really tough skin but there's going to be that extra no that hurts too much and you're like okay and this is hurting myself and hurting mm. me and I should uh, yeah step aside I bet it's very hard not to take it personally as well, because it might be that you don't have, you know, if they, if the directors have a, a certain look for a character in mind, it might come down to personal details of, you know, wrong hair colour or you're not the right aesthetic or does it get that kind of minute? Oh, it definitely does, uh, especially for commercials. Commercials you can't really take personally just because it's just how it is. For film and TV... It could be, I've heard this from a friend where she she did, she did aced the audition. Everyone was so impressed. The casting actors loved her. But the director thought she looked too much like his ex-wife. Oh, wow. So she didn't get a call back. And she found out because her agent asked for, for feedback and they were honest. And that was the reason. So sometimes it's really not about your talent. It's about literally having that face. Mm. Goodness. Oh, that sounds harsh. <laughs> how do you how do you keep a resilient attitude then? How do you keep bouncing back? Is it is it just your strength of mind or do you have any tips? That's a great question. I would say for a really long time, which it didn't really help, but I would shove down those feelings. I would get a no and sort of be like, oh, you know what? On to the next, you know, let's move on, crack on. Uh, I'll get the next one. But those feelings that you're shoving down do come back up at the hundredth no you'll just explode and you'll realize that all those feelings actually should have been dealt with so what I do now is if I get a no that's quite disappointing if I was really close to a job and I I felt like I was going to get it I just sit with that I sit with those feelings for for a day or whatever time it it takes and I write stuff down and I'm like okay you're disappointed it's a bummer um but it doesn't mean you're worth nothing. You did a great job. You did your best. And, you know, something good will, will come. Some other days I just, just scream in a pillow. But, you know, <laughs> doesn't anyone? <laughs> <laughs> sort of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Liberating. Exactly. Uh, I think that's wonderful advice. I'm a big fan of writing things down. I think that there's something that really helps you process, uh, that writing down really helps you process thoughts. And I think that is really applicable to not just actors that are listening to this or budding actors, but also people experiencing rejection through trying to get a job or interviews or things like that. Obviously, it's yeah. on a 
less large scale in the fact that it might be less frequent but it's a it's a great way to kind of accept that and as you say silver lining kind of looking towards what opportunities might come from that instead yeah and also learning from the nose like not all the time but actors do get some feedback it's rare but you do and I'm always up to I just want to learn and and see what I could do better and and it's it everything that applies to everyday life in general like you're always going to grow from the the failed moments and you do grow when you pay attention to why this happened in the first mm. place yeah. and maybe don't do it again yeah and again big fan of reflection and that kind of nature so that's that's really solid advice and you know looking at your imdb profile you've had some major kind of household roles or starred in those films including Allied, The Darkest Hour, to name some of the few major titles. How did you get comfortable with being viewed by so many people? Because those, the audiences of those films alone must be huge, including uh, when considering your other features as well. How do you get comfortable with so many people seeing you on screen and hearing you? Well, when you're shooting the film, you don't think about this. It's actually never occurred to me, this question, where... I'm I'm always fascinated with you know big celebrities I think someone asked Lady Gaga once like as she was about to post something on Instagram to her 85 million or 100 million fans she was like do you understand that you're going to post a photo that's going to be seen by so many people and she looked at the person she was like no awful why would you say that to me (laughs) and and uh it's kind of the same you don't you don't really compute that whatever you're doing on set is going to be on camera and then that is going to be in cinemas and people are going to watch it I for Allied it was such a small part I was just really happy to be part of such a major film and be at the premiere and it that whole experience was took over any worries I was about someone seeing this one line that I had in the film but um, I did a guest lead in Doctors last year, which is a soap in the UK. And that terrified me more than anything I've done because I was consistently throughout the episode and I knew everyone I knew was watching it. So that day, I, I just, my, my heart rate didn't go down for, for the whole day. And it's not, it's not ever going to be pleasant to see yourself on screen. It's the same as hearing your own voice. It's it it does take some adjustment to to not cringe every time mm-hmm. but you know you'll you'll find that a lot of big actors don't watch their stuff yeah. because of because of it do you, do you watch your things back no 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 i um the other day someone like started the conversation with i googled you <laughs> <laughs> oh it's such a good opener <laughs> I can't think of anything worse to say to me because instantly I'm like, what, what did you find? What yes. did that, what did I look like? What, yeah. What's going on on Google? Cause I, I don't do that. I yeah. instantly seeing pictures and videos that I forgot about, like from my work from de- a decade ago. No, I don't, I don't want to see that. Cause also when you're an actor, you're beginning, your acting's different from when you're beginning to now and you mm. learn a lot and there's several things that I wish I hadn't done on camera, like face expressions or, you know, just a- anything really. And I am hugely self-critical, so it's not a good place to be when you're looking at yourself on camera. 
I, I think your explanation of that is so humbling because what you were talking about earlier, it's so clear that you're in it for the love and the passion rather than the fame and what you were just saying, because, you know, if you were interested in the fame and the kind of recognition, maybe you would be kind of Googling yourself. And acting is such a strange career in the sense that everything, so your past work is documented by video and audio, whereas probably no one else experiences that or less industries like I started out in events. If I look back on emails that I wrote, I cringe, but at least I'm really reading them, not having to listen to me say them or watch yeah. me say them. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting, right? Yes. And again, you don't think about that when you're doing this short film for a student class when you're 20, that this will be somewhere forever. Um, that's why like a lot of actors prefer to do theatre because it's temporary and mm it's not a permanent thing like on on camera and as you grow older like I am definitely more aware of the roles I I go for and pick because I, I don't want to not be proud of something. Mm -hmm. Moving into the the book then so you I read on your site that this all came about by you starting to write a letter and it's kind of spiraled from there tell us about the inspiration and tell us where that came about. Yeah so uh, a friend of mine was going to turn 30 and she wrote a letter to herself and I thought it was so brilliant that I was like you know what when I turn 30 on the day I am going to do this and I quite I surprised myself and on the day I was like you know what I'm going to write this letter I'm going to sit down and, and do this and I spent about two hours going through all aspects of my life and I in general make fun of myself so it was quite an honest self-deprecating view of my 20s and um yeah just sort of heartwarming but brutally honest so I could just lay down the facts the lessons the growth and I shared the letter on social media in, a, in my bio not really thinking people would read it and the response I got in 24 hours was was baffling to me it was everyone was like this is hilarious we want to read more what happens to this story <laughs> can you make this longer and the letter was I think six pages it wasn't like a little thing you know and I sat with that for about a week and I thought do I have more in me do I have like the energy and can I give advice um and yeah after like a few weeks I, I did a little bit of an outline of seven different chapters that I thought I could talk about and slowly went from there really um and it's now been it, it took nearly two years for this to come out I love that such an organic story and to get that response must have been so overwhelming and pleasing I want to pick up on a word that you use there and you use this to describe in your bio as well this the self-deprecating why yeah. do you describe this in this way and, and why do you think that you are self-deprecating Oh, it's part of my charm. <laughs> I I don't I think that's um that comes along with British humour. And I grew up in a household that my, my dad is a very funny, sarcastic man. Mm. And I definitely have that trait. And I make people laugh through that. And it's been something I've noticed everywhere over time. I, I am quite um I just don't take myself seriously and if this thing happened, I'll I'll tell the story in a way that makes people laugh and that makes a little bit fun of me and so I think that's why that's what I mean by 
uh, and also self-deprecating makes you relatable because people can be like, oh, okay, it's okay to not have it figured out because she doesn't and she seems to laugh about it and she seems happier that way. And it's true. So I, I think it was, that was really the tone and, and the tone of the book is um, I wanted it to feel like you're just having coffee with a mate or a drink and you're just having a chat. And the way I've written it is is like that throughout the book. Mm. Uh, no, it's interesting because I think some people consider that kind of as a defense mechanism, but I actually think the opposite. It's what you're saying. It's opening up, it's being vulnerable and it's yeah. normalizing talking about things that don't go right because at the moment in society, we have uh, perhaps a generation that's being raised on, you know, the perfect expectations and illustrations of life on social media. Whereas actually I think conversations about things that do go wrong and if they have humor to them then even better are a positive thing yes and it, it's I'm a brutally honest person and I think that's my French side French people tend to be <laughs> honest to a fault and quite abrupt with it and so I think the mix of those two things is just I, I will say something that feels maybe inappropriate or out of place but um, that's why I loved Fleabag so much she, I just got her because <laughs> I was like that and it it was just this honesty and being okay with that and just owning it um so that's why yeah it's it's definitely not in a in a self-defense kind of way it's more this is who I am and hopefully it'll make you laugh Mm, no that's great and you certainly strike me as a, a storyteller. Every kind of, there's been a theme of all of your answers of you've been saying that you like to entertain, you like to tell a story. So I think writing a book as your your next step fits fits your personality and persona so, so well. And I definitely think that there is, there's a, a certain almost innate relatability to a story. I think as humans, we've always told stories and I think it is the best way to retain information and to communicate with other people would you agree yes absolutely and I didn't think about this side of entertaining until I finished the the book because to me I was just I was never thinking this was going to come out I was just sort of in denial and writing it and sort of it was quite it's obviously cathartic to write as well about what you've been through and but then I've realized, you know, from the people who, that have now read it, that it is highly, it's just storytelling. And it's my little stories that I've made as um, you can imagine them as a scene, nearly. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, that's quite um, lovely to see, really, that I've managed to do that in a different way than acting or voice acting. Awesome. No, I love it. Transferable skills. That's great. And you, you said there as well. And when we first started talking about the book here, it was a long kind of project, two years in the making, didn't know if it would uh, ever sort of reach the shelves or, or be published. How did you kind of cope with that? Because to me, that kind of process for such a long project, I'm sort of more of a quick and fast kind of get it done, short timelines for a project kind of person. How did you, you know, release it? How did you decide that it was finished? What did that kind of journey feel like? Uh, there were several moments uh, where I was convinced this was a mistake. What was I thinking? This is awful. I want to stop everything. And uh, literally every other month, I would say. And I would write a draft and I'd be like, oh, good. What are you doing? But 
I I am surrounded by very very good people. I have amazing friends and a great partner who who just pushed me and he was like, just get it out there. Come on. And the question of when did I know it was finished is quite I I, I didn't really know. I mean, you can always keep going and you can always keep editing and I kept reading it over and over again and thinking and and you get too much in your head with it. And I just wanted it to I wanted to keep it as spontaneous as it was while also, you know, having a great editor. Um, but two years is, I've never worked on anything for two years. I, I didn't know I had it in me. And I think deep down COVID was a, was a, a savior in a way because acting was completely dead. No, no one was acting at that point. And, you know, you could only, I could only write. And that was my creative outlet at the time. And, that's why I think that whole year was dedicated to that. Mm. And it set a routine for me because I think during COVID, we were all in search for this routine that would sort of keep us mentally okay. And I knew, okay, like write a bit more about this chapter today. And that would, that sort of kept me going for that year. And somehow, you know, the year ended and, and there was a book that came out. It's beautiful. Very incredibly optimistic. I love that just kind of sews all of what you've said together, Angelique, because talking about translating what you've learned as an actor into the book, the storytelling and that COVID kind of without work, you were presented with that opportunity. And we've talked on this about the podcast multiple times, the the two years well, not even two years, COVID period that we are still in is very difficult for many people, but it's also provided opportunities such as this for people to express themselves in a way that they perhaps never knew they could. So thank you for sharing. And then the nature of the book is obviously talking about turning 30. And this is, we were talking about this before we hit record. Um, Listeners, I'm two years away from 30. So Angelique was giving me some advice how to cope, (laughs) how to deal with the upcoming mental breakdown that I'm sure I will experience. (laughs) Why do you think that, what is it about 30? Why is it not 40? Why is it not 20? Why 30, do you think, Angelique? I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm not 40 yet. So talk to me in (laughs) nine years. There might be another crisis. I I don't know because I was completely fine up until the day before I turned 30. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, no, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. How am I turning 30? What is going on? And also that I think it was during COVID. So I ended up having the saddest 30th birthday. But uh, I would say your crisis, whatever that means to you, can happen at any age. It's not going to be just 30. I remember having one at 25 and having a complete identity crisis of, I don't understand any of the choices I'm making. I'm doing this thing because I think I I should do it and what I'm supposed to do as opposed to what I want to do. And suddenly you've made all these choices and you don't like any of them. Um, Or you don't know who you are. You don't know what you want. And yeah, all of that can happen at any age. But there is this thing about, 30 I've I felt a mix of things I felt a really great sense of relief that I was like saying goodbye to my 20s because they were a mess um just in the best way but also it was I felt lost a lot of the time and I was really hard on myself and I just didn't know myself at all uh, up until um, late 20s where 
you take a bit less bullshit and you are a bit patient with yourself and you don't repeat the same mistakes you'll repeat other you'll do make other mistakes but you won't repeat the same ones hopefully um but if you do you just you're just kinder to yourself and I think that's what happened to me when I turned 30 is there was this innate sense of huge relief like fresh new decade I can screw it up in a different way (laughs) no what I mean is I, I can just take all or everything I've learned and you know take it from there new page Mm, no I love that you definitely seem to have a a growth kind of mindset of that and I think the the 30 conversation it's it's so funny because I think you're right when you when you answered you know why isn't it 40 you said well I'm not 40 yet so I think it probably is only because people reaching 30 have have not turned 40 yet so they're putting it's a decade isn't it they're putting all this kind of emphasis on the 30s because it's their latest decade I definitely think there's societal kind of expectations if not translated or um put out by pop culture of you know having a family a house a solid job by 30 and I think maybe that intimidates people what you're saying that people maybe reconsider some of the choices they've made and think this is actually not what I want for the the next decade maybe there's a pressure on thinking that that isn't okay but I think that is okay We're, we're all okay to accept different opportunities and change paths especially if we're not happy and not comfortable. And I don't think that we should always be looking at society's expectations to tell us what to do. It's okay to walk a path less walked, which is exactly sounds like you have. A hundred percent. Like I would say it's okay to not have it figured out and actually to be expected to not have a clue because people in their fifties don't have a clue. And you might have done four years at uni and by the end of it you realize you don't like that what you did and it's okay you can start again you can do something else because that's the whole point you don't want to be stuck in a situation because you thought you had to do that because other people were doing that it it is okay to start again and it's okay to fail and to make mistakes we all do it and there were several times where I think around 27, 28, I was like, I've just spent eight years in London acting. I've had so many no's now. Is this a sign that I should be doing something else? Um, yeah, just the, the, the innate fear of like, what am I doing? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Like there's just constant big questions that, you know, no one really has the answer. We just try and we fall down and we get back up. And I think the idea that you need to have kids family mortgage all of that 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 is not true it's everyone does these things in their own time as they should do and not try not to listen to those voices that are telling you that in, in order to be happy you need to have all these things because being happy means some it's something different for everyone um and in terms of work, like I, I just remember equating my self-worth to how my work was doing. So if my work was crappy, I was down in the gutter. And over time, I've realized that it's, it's really not true. You need to have some sort of life or like love or ha- happiness outside of work. Because let's face it, you can be like the best lawyer, doctor out there and be an absolute, you know, moron in life and you can be unemployed and be the kindest person 
so it's it's learning all of that and, and just being kind to yourself I think over time you you just become a bit more kind and and self-aware so then it leads to better decisions mm, no definitely I think there's a lot of people out there that perhaps put their self-worth on on what their job is and I think that that is a mindset that that needs to be overcome because you're right we're composed of of all kind of different things it's not just okay so a job perhaps takes up the majority of our time so it should be something you enjoy and it should be something that you feel like you're making a difference in or, or making an impact but it, it's not the only thing that defines you right um it's other qualities like you said and I think for anyone considering if they are on the right path or if they would like to move to something different be that work or any other kind of situation otherwise I think you're a shining example for the transferable skills that you develop you know it, it just because you're in one industry doesn't mean that you couldn't swap to another with what you've learned and apply those skills yeah well thank you for saying that I yes I I think it's important to have different avenues you can go to not necessarily with work but just a hobby or travel somewhere and make a little bucket list for yourself and make it you know achievable so all your attention isn't focused on this one thing because if that one thing doesn't go well then you are going to think you're you're not worth much and and that's really not the case and that stems from also you know surrounding yourself with good people and that takes time in your 20s figuring out who your friends are that takes a very long time and if you're in a big city like London, like I am, it's it's very hard to make solid friendships. So that in itself, you know, that's why when you turn 30 or when you're later on in life, you just have a more settled way because of, of who you've got in your life. And that's a huge impact. Definitely. And in terms of sort of final comments and final bits of advice, Angelique, if someone's listening to this and thinking, oh, I, I was trying to get that perfect life, I have been using other people's expectations to base on what I want, what would be your advice for taking the first step to kind of preventing that and putting themselves out there more? So I would say take a minute and write down what you like about yourself, what you like about your life, what you don't like what you can change, what you can't change. So sort of a bit like what you can control, what you can't control, which helps a lot when you're an actor. Um, and take it day by day. If you're in a situation where you're living with someone like a roommate and it's really, it's not going well, can you move out? If you can't, can you have a conversation with that person? And it, if you're feeling stuck, know that, just try I know this is easy to say but try not to panic because everyone at some point in their life feels stuck and usually when you feel stuck that means you need to change something and what's good about this is that you you are going to eventually change something because we are all we can be stuck for so long but something in us will literally burst and we'll we'll be like okay this I really do need to change something take that risk and it will like it will work out if you if you do it that way it will work out you don't want to be forced into changing something you want to be in charge of of your life and your decisions and you don't want someone to sort of push you in a direction you don't want to be so it's about paying attention to that so that's why I say take a minute and write down a few questions that will help you 
assess the situation with a bit of perspective because that's what most of us miss sometimes is perspective because we're so in it we don't we don't see it so i would say that but i'm sure i've got a better answer in the book to be honest with you (laughs) well (laughs) speaking of the book where can everyone get a copy i can't wait to get my hands on it (laughs) it's on it's uh, on everywhere on amazon perfect and it's out now it's out now yes Excellent. So for follow up on that advice, read the book. But uh, I love what you're saying. That really resonates with me. There's a sort of exercise that I do maybe more in my head than on paper, but on paper, it certainly translates to which is called the locus of control, which is basically like a, a fancy Gantt chart of circles of putting what is in your control and what is not, yeah. um, especially when you're worrying about something. It, it just really helps to you know accept the situation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's great advice. Thank you. And um, Angelique, it's been such a pleasure to have you. I've enjoyed this conversation thoroughly. I've laughed so much. I feel like I'm going to laugh at the book too. I can't (laughs) wait to read it. Um, If people have enjoyed this episode and enjoyed the chat, how can they reach out to you? How can they get in touch with you? You can reach me on Instagram. It's angelique.joan or my website is angeliquejoan.com. And I think that's it. Those are the two main big ones. Perfect. Awesome. Well, listeners, get in touch if you enjoyed this. This has been such a great conversation. And uh, yeah, I'll put a copy or I'll put a link to the book in the show notes as well so everyone can get a copy of that. Angelique, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. Thank you so much for listening, fellow imperfectionist. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope it has inspired you to get closer to your true purpose in life. If you have a question, thoughts on this episode or suggestions of topics or even future guests i would love to hear from you visit pickingupperfection.com slash participate you can also follow me on my socials instagram linkedin and even contact me via email links for all of this are in the show notes see you next time